Friends, it's been a tense couple of days. I suspect many of you are feeling pretty beaten up by the breathlessness and anxiety and fear and hope that this election day and its aftermath have given rise to. Possibly you've been doom-scrolling like I have, frantically refreshing your favorite news site, the latest update. Maybe you've chosen the better part and have found a way to tune it out and find a place of silence and refuge. Many of us are feeling the gut punch of realization that these deep fissures in America have not been magicked away. If anything, they are more pronounced now than ever before. We live in a deeply divided society, an angry society, and that anger has found its way into our bodies and into our hearts. And sometimes, I want to suggest to you, sometimes that anger is a holy thing. Jesus shows us that kind of holy anger when he storms into the temple, the holiest place in his society, and he begins turning over tables and taking names. Some of the, the protests that Trinitarians have been participating in over the past several months have had that kind of conviction, that holy anger at their heart, this, this table-turning moment, the righteous conviction that telling the truth is painful, but it is necessary. Sometimes I feel that anger pretty viscerally as a queer person in America right now. I know that for many of you, that conviction is deeply personal. That anger is personal. We long for peace, and yet we know deep down that until all of God's children can live in justice and freedom, peace is often a nice Christian byword for complicity and silence. These are not peaceful days in America. And maybe before we blithely urge it on one another, we should take a harder look and a harder listen at the truth about our nation that is being finally brought into the light. Four years ago, I felt like my job as a priest and a preacher changed overnight on that fateful November day as America launched into this new phase of our political life, a time of polarization and violence and dehumanization of God's children. The last four years have been like nothing I had experienced before as a priest. We've lost parishioners, people I, people I love, people I consider my friends who found that the highly polarized nature of our political and social and religious life meant that they no longer felt a spiritual home at Trinity Cathedral, and those losses have hurt. At the same time, I think we have discovered this renewed commitment to the work that Jesus is always calling us to, maybe work that when times were more peaceful, it was easy for us to ignore. Four years ago, I gathered with my fellow clergy, with our bishop, we signed our names to a series of commitments to protect and defend the human dignity of immigrants, refugees, and those who fear deportation, to stand and work with those whose race or religion are threatened by the vitriolic and violent language and actions of white supremacy, to confront bigotry, fear, ignorance, and hatred wherever and whenever we find it, to protect the physical, psychological, and spiritual safety of women, of people of gender and sexual diversity, of the elderly and the physically impaired, and to pray for our president and for all elected leaders as we hold them accountable to the principles of justice as found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been thinking about those commitments a lot over the past couple days. I think sometimes I, I, I long for somebody else to come in, a, a hero on a white horse, a politician, a president, a great prophet or leader who will do that work on my behalf, who will do the work for me. 
And as I sit in the uncertainty of this moment, as votes are counted and recounted and America holds our collective breath, I think regardless of who puts his hand on the Bible and swears the oath of office, the work we commit to as Christians doesn't just belong to the president. It doesn't belong to Congress or to the Supreme Court or to legislatures and governors and mayors and city councils, although all of those are places and positions that must and will be held accountable. But the work that we committed to four years ago as your clergy, as a congregation, that is our work. That is our work as citizens. It's our work in families, around dinner tables, in our workplaces and offices. It's our work as a church. And that work doesn't stop in January. That work doesn't stop four years from now, until God's reign of righteousness and justice begins, until Christ returns in glory. This is the work we have been given to do, to preach good news to the poor and marginalized, to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight, to the spiritually and morally blind, to set the oppressed free, and to announce the time of God's favor. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. If these past months have taught me anything, it's don't make a lot of long-term plans and set nothing in stone. But this much I know, taking a stand for justice will hurt. There is a cost to following the cause of God's justice. And whether we are rejoicing or mourning over the next couple hours or days, this moment of reckoning has not gone away. I suspect it will intensify. So there will come a time when we come back together, a little scarred, a little warrior, warriors returning from the battle will sing the old hymns. That cathedral will once again be filled with human voices. We will pray for justice and we will pray for peace. And then we will get to work because it doesn't matter who my president is. I, I mean, it, it matters. <laughs> Let me tell you, it matters. But no matter how this race comes out, my work and your work have not changed. This is a moment of reckoning. And our work, this painful, wrenching, joyful work, is just beginning.